Uh, let's pray, eh? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, it's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord God, that you want to divide this morning between our soul and our spirit, Lord, that we might understand your word more correctly. And we just thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're, this morning, we've been doing a series on the redemption of womankind. Um, the reason I wanted to do this series is that I feel that I want ladies in this church to feel free that God wants to use them in ministry and leading areas and teaching and preaching, but I also want men to feel confident that they're not being taken over as if God's like, or, or the church is trying to say, it's all about women, because it's not. It's all about us as uh, people of God working together to the plan that God had. So it started off with Genesis, creation. Man and women were both created in God's image. They were created equal. In fact, um, it talks about Adam. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone, and he actually made Eve out of man. And there's some words in there that talk about that she's the help meet for him, and, and people often think, well, that means that she's there to help him achieve everything that he needs to do, but it wasn't that at all. We looked at how the word help is Ezra, which is the same word that is used for God as God is our help. So it's not relegating someone under. And then there's another word on there that's called, I think it's kened, which actually means equal and parallel too. So when he was created, brought out of Adam, it was like, here is someone equal and parallel to you that is going to help you with the mission that I have set for you to go forth, uh, be fruitful and multiply. Well, how can Adam do that without Eve for a start? They're together in this mission. Adam couldn't multiply by himself. He needed Eve. That's just the way things work, if you didn't know. Um, so he looked at that and, and um, we went through the culture how that, that does affect how we think and how it even affects how we think today. Um, looking at different things and, and even with races, um, that can also be an issue as well. The Gentiles, the men, the slaves, the position that people had and, and how when Paul's writing into the period that he wrote into, he was writing into a period that was very anti-women. And so a lot of the things that he said, we take from the way we think today and apply it today. Now, are there eternal truths in God's word? Of course there are. Are there things that are situational? Of course there are. Are some of the writings of Paul, what he's thinking at the time and addressing issues of the day? Yes, they are. Are some of them addressing eternal things? Of course they are. And we've got to try and wrestle with that. And the verses that I'm going to look at today are actually um, about can a woman teach? So now, a lot of people, if you haven't been a Christian for long, you go, what are they banging on about? Like, of course they can, that, you know, we're all equal in society, but in actual fact, you find that we're not, because there's still this, this way of thinking that um, a lot of men have, is that they're superior, that they're better than, and women is to serve them. And you can even see that in relationships today. And I talked to my, my daughter about these sorts of things, and, and she said, Dad, it's actually the same today even though it's different. He said, the way that, that girls are treated is really bad. It's as though the guys can do anything they want, but the girls just have to follow after them and do what they say and you know, be sorry about the things that the guy has done to them and, and feel guilty. And, and there's still this sort of way of looking at things um, that's there. And the problem is that when sin entered the world, there was two things that happened. One was that... Um, 
Adam would have to work hard and there would be weeds in the garden. That was one of his things that he had to do. Um, for Eve, it talked about that the pain in childbirth would be increased, but also that her husband would rule over her and she would desire him or desire to be like him. In other words, she would want that position instead of him. So the thing that's broken is the relationship between Adam and Eve. Before sin, before the, way, before the fall, it was actually not like that. But after the fall, it actually was like that. And you can see the way that that works out in society today, can't you? That, that there's this push that I want to be in control from both sides. And then last week we looked at headship. What can that really mean? And mutual submission. And I just want to just talk about that a little bit more today in terms of that because we, we often, as Christians, often will say the man is the spiritual head of the house. And the challenge that I put out was show me where that is and you can't find it anywhere. In fact, Christ is the spiritual head. If he's not, then everything else falls apart. And the problem is when we decide that we're going to be the spiritual head um, and, and in terms of like, well, God goes through the man to the woman, there's a couple of problems that come with that. Number one, what you're saying is I'm now the high priest to God. I represent you to God. Before you were married, you were fine. You could go to God by yourself and you had that connection. But now we're married, I'm the spiritual head and I'm going to be the access to God. Well, that cannot be, can it? So if, the, if a wife wanted to do something and it was in line with the word of God and the husband maybe wasn't a Christian or wasn't in faith, um, so they were Christian but not really seeking God, then the requirement would be that she obviously does what God says, right? So who's the spiritual head? Obviously God. Has to be God. And the spiritual head of the man has to be God as well. The one who, who directs and guides a relationship. And with that mutual submission, because the first verses we looked at was submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It is all to do about Christ. For the woman, this means submit to your husband. For the man, this means give your life for your wife. Love her. They're both asked to submit in different ways, but they actually mean the same thing. Could you imagine that someone who gives up their life decides that the other person has to do what they decide? It just doesn't make sense. And it was referencing back to Christ, how he gave his life for the church, and we looked at what Christ as the head really means. It didn't mean the boss, the authority of the dominator of the church, but the life source for the church, and we looked at a couple of verses about that, that how when, when it talks about Christ as being the head in the Bible, it's about how he supplies everything for the church, and he's the head for the benefit of the church, so that, that we can all grow up together. And so even if we start to think about that as headship, as a husband, if... if if we're like, we have to understand that verse does say that the husband is the head of the wife, but what does that really mean? What if it doesn't mean dominator, the authority of over, the spiritual head, but what if it means he is the source of life for his wife? How can that be? Because the Bible says this is how a man submits. He loves his wife and gives his life up for her. And we're not going to do that physically, are we, most men? We would do it. I'd gladly give my, my life up for my wife, but I don't have to physically. But that means I have to get rid of my selfish motives and start to think, well, what does it mean for me as a man to give up my life for my wife? It certainly doesn't mean saying I am now the boss. The other thing that happens is that a lot of ladies will then use this as, well, my husband is not spiritual enough. 
And so they begin to attack his spirituality, his manliness as a, as a Christian, and they're expecting him to be God to them, which is not fair. And it's never anything that God asks us to do. We're all responsible for our own walk, how the way we connect to God. And what will happen is a lot of ladies will say, well, it's about time the men rose up and took their rightful place. And because they're not this is that and the men have to do this and, and you're responsible for my spiritual walk, husband. No, he's not. He is not responsible for your spiritual walk. And you should not be held back because you're waiting for your husband to just get it and to be as mature as you and know as much as you do because that actually shows pride. So as a wife, how do you do that? You let him be who he is and let him grow into God just as you need to grow into God. Do you do it together? Absolutely. Um, and, and on the other side of that too, there's this drive that you sometimes get in Christian churches, well, the man is the priest of the home. Really? Show me where the Bible says that. It's just not in there. And as soon as you, you place him as a priest, what was a priest responsible for? Representing people to God and God to people. And yet the Bible clearly says that we're all to take advantage of the grace that we have to enter into this throne room of grace to obtain mercy. It says that Jesus Christ is the one who went into the Holy of Holies. Why? So that we could all enter into as well. But on the flip side of that, the husband is a priest of the home and so is the wife. Because what we're trying to do is bring God to our family and to each other. So in that way, the Bible also says that we're all kings and priests. It doesn't say just men are priests. It says we are all kings and priests. Because we're meant to be representing Christ to one another and ministering the word of God to each other. The point in the end is that as soon as anyone wants to think that they're higher than the other, there's a problem. Now, just because you think, you know, the husband makes the final decision doesn't mean you think that. And that's one of the things we had to talk about. Among your family, you have to decide those things yourself. What's the best decision for us under Christ? Together. And if you make a decision, well, in our family, you know, the husband makes the final decision, great. Let it be. It's not a sin. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's important that we don't try and put that on everyone just because that's the way we operate. Our families all operate differently, don't they? About how we do things. So this morning we're going to be looking at women. Can they teach? Can they participate in the church service? Is it legitimate? Because we do want to please God, don't we? We, we don't want to be disobeying God and doing things that, that, that aren't right. And the verses we're going to look at today... If we look at them in isolation, they seem very prohibitive, as if women can't participate in church services. And then next week we're going to look at leading churches. Okay. So the verses we're going to be looking at are in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14. Now, first of all, we're going to look at the verse in Timothy. All right. So Timothy is the pastor of a town called Ephesus that has a big problem. There's false teachers coming around. So we're just going to look at a couple of verses that, that show this. It's on there? Yes. <laughs> okay. 
So this is Paul writing to Timothy. When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those who are teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. So he's saying, stay in Ephesus. We've got a problem here. There's a lot of false teaching happening. And, by the way, um, the majority of them named are men. And when we look at the verse we're going to look at, it's possible that there is a woman as well. And certainly they would have been involved in it. Next one. Okay, so these false teachers, they are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they're never able to understand the truth. So if we set this up in Ephesus, there's false teachers that need to be dealt with. One of the things that they're doing is going around to these homes of women, vulnerable women, and teaching them lies, teaching them fables, fairy tales, whatever it might be. Understanding this, that women at the time were uneducated. They weren't like you guys sitting out there with university degrees. They weren't even really allowed to go to school. Um, and so their knowledge wasn't great there in, that ter- in terms of those sorts of things. And you have people coming in saying stuff and they're believing it. So this is the verse we're going to look at. We got that, 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Now, when you read that, what does that mean to you? Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or to have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. In the King James, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Okay. Do those verses seem pretty clear to you? They look clear, don't they? Like, or that, that, that just sounds like, you, ladies, you just need to be quiet, please. Don't say anything. But when we actually break that verse down, this is sort of an easy one in one ways, where it says, I do not permit a woman to teach, the way the verb is written in that is, I do not currently permit a woman to teach, but she must sit and learn. That makes a big difference, doesn't it? You think about it in terms of an apprentice, like I'll have my first year apprentice and I'll say, I don't let him connect things to the mains. Does that mean you're never going to let him connect things to the mains? No, because he's got to learn what he has to do to do it safely, to make sure that it happens. And that is really important. So when we look at that verse there, it says currently permit. And then we're going to look at, what about silence? Well, then it says to learn in silence. Maybe they just need to be quiet. Can we just go to the next slide? Because in First Timothy... Oh, sorry, in... Yeah, now I mix it up a little. All right, yes, no, back. We'll just keep... And go to the next one. Okay, so if we look at that verse, we would say, well, women just have to be silent. So in this church... Women can't teach. Remember that who Paul's writing to. So what we're doing is trying to take an overall look, not just a look at this one verse. The church in Ephesus, Priscilla and Aquila taught the word of a God, God to Apollos and were founders of the Ephesian church. Priscilla is a female. And she helped, did, led the teaching of Apollos into knowing the faith more properly. Now in those times, the most important person was 
name first. In other words, this is the one who sort of like takes the lead. And it was always put first, Priscilla. The deacon, Phoebe, came from Ephesus. So she was a deacon in the church and she came from Ephesus. So obviously there's some leadership there and they'd have to teach. Timothy himself had his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice who taught him faith. In fact, Paul, when he wrote this, he was saying, I can see the same faith, this great faith that your mother and your grandmother had in you because they were teaching him. If it was that only men were influencing him, why would he say that? He would say, your grandfather, whatever, and your father. The same great faith is them in you. Now, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, there's a little word there about teaching and passing on to others the things you have learnt. And the, and the word is anthropos, not ana. People, not males. Obviously, teaching was done by females. Otherwise, this is Paul's great chance to correct this, this misunderstanding that the people had. And no, women can't teach. You think that after what we've just read, he would say, Aina, or Anur. I don't know how to say that, really. <laughs> A-N-E-R. You can see the word there, right? This is his great chance to say, no, it has to be only men. So he'd write, teach to only men and let men teach. But he says to people, whatever you've seen and heard from me, teach to other faithful people so that they can in turn teach others. So obviously it can't be just talking about how um, women aren't allowed to teach at all because there's examples right here of what it means. So what's it talking about? Let, let's move on. In Corinthians, I'll clarify that a bit, bit more. Okay, so after that first bit there about women being silent, it says, For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. It was not Adam who was deceived by Satan, the woman was deceived, and sin was the result. Adam was disobedient, but he had been taught by God and was meant to teach Eve, so she wouldn't be deceived. So when you go back to that previous passage, doesn't it start to make sense? I do not currently permit a woman to teach, but sit and learn in silence. Because this isn't saying that a woman was more um, uh, easily deceived because who was going around doing most of the false teaching and had to be cast out of the church in Ephesus? Men. Not women, but men. So, so what we're seeing here is that, that Paul's just using a pattern. He said, this is what happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve was deceived. Why? Because she hadn't been taught, because she had not yet learnt the word of God. And this is what is happening here. The other thing is it may be possible, although I'm not sure, that's why I'm not talking about it, that this is actually speaking about a specific woman. So if we can, can we go back again? Sorry to jump you around here. See in the King James Version there? Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. There is even a possibility that they're talking about a particular woman. Because not everyone who was doing this deceptive teaching was named, and it, and it was men and most likely women as well. When you read through the passage, it goes very clearly from a plural word, women, in the King James, to a woman, back to women. However, can you see that when you start to think about it, if this is prohibiting women from speaking at all, why were there other women teachers? Why was 
Paul encouraging Timothy and saying, you've been taught by your grandmother. Why was he saying, teach it to other people? People that will teach other people. It just doesn't make sense if a woman's not to teach at all. And then when we go to the, I do not currently permit, that even makes more sense to me. Let's go on. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 14 if you want to turn there. Sorry we're jumping around a bit this morning, but hopefully it'll come together for you. Have a look at these two verses, which are in the passage that, that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 28. This passage is talking about order in the church. Okay, so, so think order in the church. The Corinthian church is going nuts. They're going wild. They're, there are people speaking in tongues everywhere, prophesying everywhere, not considering one another when they have communion. They're not waiting for others to eat. Communion was much better back then, by the way. When you think about it, I mean, it was a feast. Paul had to say, don't get drunk. That's a good communion, right? <laughs> and, and also, make sure other people get to eat. It wasn't this little bit of bread and a cup, but the symbol is, is what we're, we're interested in. So it's talking about order in the church, but if no one is present, who can interpret? They must be silent. This is about people speaking in tongues. They must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is prophesying, sorry, who is speaking must stop. Now, both times the same word, to be silent, is the same word that we're about to read in this passage, and they're all linked together. So let's go on. Then it talks about women should be silent during the church meetings. Wow. That's a bit harsh. It is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Now, that, again, looks pretty cut and dried, right? Does anyone... Read that first line there. Women should be silent during the church meetings. And go, that's pretty clear, right? (laughs) And I heard some of you talking this morning too. What's going on? It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. A few things to point out in this. The law never says anything about this being related to well, actually, where it says submissive, it's, it's not even relating to a person. But what are they being submissive to? Options, one, God, the church leaders, the church, what's happening? And when you actually look up the meaning there for not to speak, it means not to address the one speaking. Now, you'll see commentaries about this that will talk about how it's possible that the men and women sat on opposite sides of the church, which was their custom, and the women were yelling out, to their husbands, asking them questions, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. But it can also mean that they're actually interrupting the speaker. So here I am talking to you guys and, and uh, Judith yells out at me, Nia, what about this? I'm like, what? Wait a minute, I'm in the flow, man. Just leave me alone. <laughs> but they, they, they might be, it really looks like what they were doing was interrupting a speaker. And so the word of God wasn't be able to go out as it should be there. It's not proper for them to speak in church meetings. Now what I wanted to do is address this not proper for women to speak in church meetings. 
When we look at that narrowly, what does it sort of give us the focus on? Women should be quiet, right? I just explained that what could have possibly been happening in the church services. But what about the rest of Corinthians? There's so many examples that women were taking part in the church service, prophesying, talking, speaking, and yet we see that verse there. Now, wouldn't that be ridiculous that Paul's writing, and let's have a look at the next slide. This is written to all of them within the context of this passage in 1 Corinthians 14. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarise. When you meet together, one will sing. One who? One brother and sister. One brother or sister. All right? One will sing. Another will teach. Who? One brother or sister. Brothers and sisters, when you're getting together, one will And another will get a special revelation. One will get tongues. Another will interpret what is said, but everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. Let two or three men, people, people prophesy. And let all the others evaluate what is said. Further to this, there's another passage in Corinthians that's talking about head coverings and prophesying, which actually is a little unclear. We, we, we could possibly go through that verse, but passage a little bit later on. But nevertheless, it is obvious that women are prophesying in church, so how can it be that they're allowed to prophesy, but they've got to be silent? Maybe they mimed the prophecy, do you think? <laughs> what did I just say? <laughs> God is great. Come on, guys. <laughs> and loves everyone. There you go. But if they weren't speaking, how are they prophesying? Obviously, it can't be a restrictive thing to women that you're not allowed to, now to take part in a church service, yet it sounds like it. But it's not saying that. Everyone is involved in this. Next slide. All were included in the ministry. And women were called to prophesy as well as men. All of them were called together to prophesy. And what does prophecy mean, or prophesy in these passages mean? To teach, refute, reprove, admonish, or comfort others. In all the passages in the Corinthians, when it's talking about prophesy, that's what it means. So if women aren't allowed to teach, then we can get rid of that word prophesy, because we often think that prophesy is just telling the future. That's not what it always is. That's one of the meanings, definitely, to, to look into the future and then you see what's going to happen and you let people know. But it's much more than that. Prophecy includes teaching, refuting, reproving, admonishing or comforting others. So when you look at all those things there, there is authority in it as well. Which means that there was also authority given to whoever was prophesying that the word of God may do one of these things. And so when we think of the submission where it talks about that they must submit, it is more than likely talking about submit to the word of God. Because that's what we do, isn't it, as Christians? We submit to the word of God. Even this morning, as the pastor of this church, you know, when we talk about, you know, the Bible talks about submit to those in authority, um, obey those that watch over your souls because you want them to enter into heaven with joy because you've done really well, not sadness. 
But I would hope that what you're submitted to here is the word of God and not put any person above the word of God. That you would always regard what God wants, what God thinks and loves as better than any person. And it's really funny how so many people who, are, who really talk about the submission in a big way don't submit to any leadership, yet they're called to you. Which means to me that there's a problem with attitude there. Was that my last slide? Beautiful. So, in summary, if we look at those verses in isolation, we can really take it that women should not say anything in church. But what it's addressing is disorder in the church, which is why when there's disorder, it just doesn't work, and it's absolutely put exactly in that same passage as those who are speaking in tongues should stop, they should be silent, those who are prophesying should be silent when someone else is moved by the Spirit of God and he's in it for things to happen and then the women should be silent. The context of it is all about order in the church, not about the place of women and that they can't do anything because we can clearly see that women prophesied in church so that it's impossible for them to be silent. We can see that Timothy was taught by women and, and Priscilla taught that so many women did things phoebe was a deacon and we're going to look at that next week because that's one of the this is maybe probably the last sticking point can women actually lead because a lot of people will go they can do everything but we're not going to submit to a woman in leadership why the thing is that if you look throughout this world and we learn things three ways as Christians, really. One, it's through example in the Word of God. Now, I can give you Old Testament examples of, of women that were teaching and leading. Deborah, a judge of Israel. Now, there were many men judges, but she was highlighted because of her wisdom. Why did God even let her be in that position if it's not what he wants? Holder found the Word of God and presented it to the, the people of Israel in the Old Testament. We see prophetesses. Actually, name is prophetesses, and, and we'll look at this a little bit more. So example in the Bible, we can see examples. Does it fill up the Bible? No, but you've got to understand, after the fall, what happened? Men took charge. That's a result of the fall, not a result of the cross. And so can we redeem this relationship? Can we possibly begin to trust one another and work together? The second is the Word of God. So where we see a specific instruction, and, and this is where those passages are really important because if you're a new Christian reading the Bible, or even an old Christian like myself, you get to those verses and go, I don't know what to do with this. It just seems wrong, but it's written there. Must I do it? But you need to expand the look. How can it possibly be right and prohibitive and restrictive if we can see that God's using them in the church meetings and it's written to the whole of the church that when you get up to prophesy, not to men only. The third thing is the Spirit of God because he's the one who teaches us, right? And so there'll be some things as you're reading through the Bible you won't understand fully. Can I just encourage you to park it? 
then one day what will happen is someone will speak the word of God from the front and it will grab hold of something that's been inside you for a while and you're like, now I get it. Now I get it. I didn't understand before, but I do now because the Spirit reveals things to us. And you have to trust that. With that experience too, is what can we experience in the world? If God is so against women leading and teaching, why is he even letting any woman's ministry succeed? Why is he letting Heidi Baker plant thousands of churches in Africa and still using her to heal and set people free? Why, why is he doing that? People often say about Joyce Meyer, another one, a great teacher of the Word of God. But you can see examples of it. If the Spirit of God is so against it, why is it happening? Either God is just having a cruel joke on us, or perhaps the Spirit of God is in that. As I said before, does that mean that every person who's born again under a woman's ministry is an illegitimate child of God? That somehow their faith is devalued because a woman led them? doesn't make sense right because if God doesn't want it to happen why would he let it happen he would show us through that word of God all women should be silent and as soon as one got up to speak strike them down or cause them to fail or make it a misery for everyone and yet good fruit is coming out of it and you know what the Bible says about fruit it says a, a good tree produces good fruit and if you can see good fruit coming out of it then actually the tree is good let's pray Father God we just thank you that you have chosen us to be your people your chosen ones in fact you chose the whole world because you sent Jesus Christ to die for every person not one person on this planet that you didn't die for Jesus. And this morning, if that's you that has never received him, never accepted Jesus Christ into your life, this morning I'm just going to ask you to pray with me in a second. Because this forgiveness of the cross is available to every single person. There is not one person here that deserves Christ, actually, it's totally a gift from God. It's only by His cross, it's only by His grace that we can actually be saved. Some people here this morning might be resisting God in their life. They know they need Him, but they want to keep control. You want to do that, you're headed for destruction. Because the Bible says that you must be born again. You must accept Jesus Christ into your life because he is the only way to the Father. You can't get there by trying. You can't get there by effort. You can't get there by penance. You can't get there by anything except receiving Jesus Christ. And from him, the love flows. This morning, if that's you, if you've never received Jesus, I'm just going to pray a prayer. You pray along with me. Then you take that green card afterwards and you tick the box that says, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. You can put it in a basket on the table near the exit. Or you can talk to your friend or family member. But whatever it is, you need to declare this out. And this morning we're just going to pray for you. You pray with me if that's you. Father God, I'm so sorry 
for my sin. This morning, I want to turn my life around. I give it to you now in Jesus' name. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. And I want to take part in that. I want to receive that forgiveness this morning. Forgive me now in Jesus' name. From this day on, I want to live for you. Amen.